to another episode of It's Pretty Personal, a podcast all about sharing South Asian stories. I hope you guys are having a really good week and staying safe. How are you guys? Well, me, I'm all right. I'm like trying to keep myself busy and do what I can now in terms of podcast and studying and working. And I actually can't wait for lockdown 2.0 to be over. And whoever is listening, not from the UK, um, the UK is back in a national lockdown. And I think a lot of us are hoping that it's over soon because I don't know about you guys, but are you guys also seeing people breaking the rules and just doing what they want? And honestly, like it's kind of disheartening and frustrating for the most of us because they're doing what they want to do. And at the end of the day, like we all want to see our friends and we all want to be sociable. But instead, we're staying at home following the rules. And it's that thing where it's like the minority just mess it up for the majority. Like, why do people think that the rules don't apply to them? And I actually really want to know your thoughts on this. Like, do you think people are following the rules? I just think it's just something that's been on my mind because I just don't think it's fair for some people to follow it and other people not following in it because I feel like these people just think that they're better than the rest of us kind of thing. And it's a little bit like, no, we're all equal. We're all in this situation together. So why can you not play your part and just be empathetic towards other people? Like, that would just always baffle me. And it's just something I could rant about and vent about for a really long time. But I won't do that. And I'll save you guys from all of that. And instead, tell you about today's episode, which is all about finding love later in life. I'm joined by Shuva, a podcaster from the States, and we have a really great conversation about growing up in a diaspora, journalism, finding love later in life, as well as interracial relationships. So it's a big episode. Like always, don't forget to follow me on social media, Instagram and Twitter at Pretty Personal. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please um, give this a five star rating and leave a review so other people know how great this podcast is. I will link Shuva's podcast called Unchained Wisdom in the episode description below. So if you're interested, you can definitely check that out too. And if you're new, please don't forget to follow or subscribe to this podcast so that episodes come directly into your music library. And if you've enjoyed this episode, then please feel free to check out some of my other episodes too. I've spoken by a range of topics from first dates to colorism, society's expectation on South Asian women, as well as mental health. Without further ado, let's get into my chat with Shuva. Enjoy! Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of It's Pretty Personal. Today I have Shuva with me today and she is a South Asian from Bangladesh who grew up living in the United States of America where she works in higher education and technology and she also hosts her own podcast called Untrained Wisdom which I'm going to link in the episode description. And Shuba lives with her husband of eight years and has two cats called Kai and Kodak. Oh, I love those names. Yeah, they're adorable. Yeah, I used to be a photographer, so hence the name Kodak seemed obvious. And then I wanted another K name, so we went with Kai on the That's other so one. That's so smart. Like, you know when like people have like kids or pets and they have like the same name? It's like the Kardashians a little bit. Like, and, like yeah. K, 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 K. <laughs> How have you been? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm actually really well. It's a bit gloomy here in the UK. It's getting very typical British weather when it comes to raining and it getting dark at 3pm. Oh, well, we have some really crazy weather. Uh, We had snow a while ago in October, which is very unusual for Iowa. But today it's supposed to get up to almost 60 degrees, which is about 15 degrees Celsius for you guys. So it's really bizarre. So today's actually really beautiful. That's actually so nice. 
For people that don't know, where is Iowa in America? So Iowa is in the middle of the United States, and I live in a town called Iowa City. It is about four hours west of Chicago. So if you have a general idea of where Chicago is, if you go four hours west on the road, you'll end up in Iowa City. Nice to know. And today's episode, we're talking about finding love and also interracial relationships. And I think a lot of people listening can relate to at least some of these topics. And I think it would be so interesting to hear your perspective, because obviously we are from different generations. And I'm really looking forward to just learning off you, to be honest. So one thing that I normally do with a lot of my guests is I kind of do an icebreaker introduction thing whereby I ask you five questions. So are you ready for my question? I am. So the first question is, what is something that you're passionate about? So the first thing that came to mind is running. Um, I actually, in 2020, started a run streak. So I have a goal of running at least a mile a day. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> I'm not terribly fast, but at least it gets me out the door and gets me moving. I think that's the one thing that I really appreciate with running is just the fact that like, I feel so great after it's over, but during it, I'm hating it. Like I'm literally like, when is this over? Why is this the longest seven minutes of my life? Yeah. And the first mile is always the hardest for me. That's so true. The next question is, what makes you smile? Well, I think if it's a beautiful day out like today, that's always nice. You know, the sun is out, the sky's clear, there's a slight breeze. And right now in Iowa, because it's autumn, the trees are changing color. The leaves are changing color. So we have lots of trees that are orange and red right now. So it's like proper fall, fall. Fall, yes. Mm -hmm. Next question is, what is one thing that's happened today that you're grateful for? Sure. So because of our time difference, it's actually 10 o'clock in the morning where I'm right now. But I did get up and do a Pilates class online this morning. So that was fun. Better than me. I literally woke up and ate cookies. (laughs) I did do that, actually. (laughs) Next one is, if you can fix one problem in society right now, I know there's a lot, what would it be? Yeah. So because I work in the education arena, I would love for everyone to have equal access to a quality education. I think that's so important. I genuinely think that it's a massive issue in our society these days. And final one is, what is one thing that you want to achieve in 2021? Yeah, so I think my goal is to finish my second marathon. I was supposed to run it this year in December, but because of the pandemic, all my travel plans went south. So I'm hoping to run a marathon in Hawaii next December of 2021. In Hawaii, that's amazing. Yeah, that's I'm like, so I'm cool. not going to do one in Iowa in December. So, <laughs> oh my yeah, God. I have a goal of running a race in every single state, at least a half marathon in every state. That's such a cool goal to have. Like, and you get to see like so much of America as well whilst you're doing it. That's so cool. So now that people know a little bit more about you, let's get into our episode. So you're from a diaspora and I'm from a diaspora and obviously we grew up in different years. Right, right. Yeah. So I'm 44. I just turned 44 in late September and I was born in Bangladesh and my parents and I moved to the U.S. when I was a baby and mainly because my dad wanted to get a better education and a better job. And so he ended up getting his graduate degree in the U.S. We moved to the East Coast and lived down the East Coast for a while. And then 
eventually when I was about eight years old, we moved to Iowa. And so it's not a very heavily populated part of the country. So because of where I grew up, there were not a lot of South Asians in the town that I grew up in, you know, which made for some interesting experiences because a lot of times when I was in school, I would be the only student of South Asian descent. But, you know, I got used to it. And there was a small South Asian community, um, a Muslim community in the area I grew up in. But all those other kids actually went to different schools than me. So I was kind of in my own bubble growing up. How was it for you that balancing that diaspora? Because I know what it's like to be the only one at school, for example, and you do feel a bit left out. But how was it for you? So it's weird because I didn't necessarily think I was disadvantaged in any way. I mean, we still had friends who, you know, had connections in the bigger cities. And, you know, we had friends that had events and occasions that we got together. So, you know, we would, I think my parents more so than me would go to those. So I didn't necessarily feel like I was left out. But one thing that I started noticing was like, I kind of stuck out in a way, sort of like, because I just didn't know how to relate to people. And I, to this day, I feel like I'm sort of like this awkward introvert. And, you know, I'm not entirely what I would consider girly. And so, you know, when I would go to these events or gatherings, it was sort of like I spent a lot of time looking at people instead of interacting with them. And so it was just like, okay, they're like this, or they like this all the time, or they would talk about all all these accomplishments that they did in school. And I'm like, there's got to be more to it than this. So it was weird, but I also tried not to let it get to me. What advice would you have for people in my generation, though, that are struggling with that diaspora and are like the only South Asian person in the school, so to speak, or they just don't know how to relate with people? Yeah, I think, you know, it's weird because a lot of the times I didn't consciously think that I was the one that was different and I stuck out. In a way, it helped because I was in the same school system growing up. So I grew up with the same core group of students from third grade all the way through the end of high school. So they were used to seeing me. And I think that was a blessing because that helped me sort of establish kind of who I was, but also allowed me room to explore my interests. And I think as long as you're willing to have a core group of classmates or friends that understand you, I think you'll be fine. And just, you know, stick with what you are interested in and not so much what everybody else says you should be. Definitely. Do you think that it's easier for my generation compared to, for example, your generation? I'd like to say it is mainly because I think, especially in the South Asian community, you have sort of a template or examples of other people who have gone through this similar experiences. So then, you know, you can kind of go and look at so-and-so's life or so-and-so's experience and say, okay, this is what they went through, or this is what they experienced, and kind of take that into stock and apply it to your own situation. You know, I will say that my experience I wouldn't say it's necessarily negative by any means. It just was what it was just because of the nature of where I lived. But it is different because you don't really have a quote unquote community to relate to. So I have a question. Is there something that you wish 
that you could tell your 20-year-old self knowing what you know now? Yeah, absolutely. So when I was 20, I was still in college and I was looking at graduating really quickly. And I think, you know, looking back, I would say the 20-year-old me that everything's going to work out. Now, I think the bigger question for me is looking at me when I was 25 or 30 even. I would say 25 to 28, because I think those years are really where I had a lot of movement in terms of jobs and uncertainty as to what my future was going to look like. And so I think the 44 or four-year-old me would tell me as a 25 to 28-year-old, everything is going to work out. Everything will be fine. Don't freak out. I think that's very true, especially like right now with the whole thing with the world and with COVID and multiple lockdowns, like a lot of people in my generation in their 20s, like life does feel so uncertain right now. And it does feel like there's no end in sight, so to speak. And everyone's a bit like, what am I doing with life? I, I, I know a lot of people, including myself, were questioning, what am I doing with my life? And it's crazy to think that like 20 years ago, you're thinking exactly the same thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. So it's weird because like back then, I was so focused on figuring out what made me happy. And I knew that I wanted to stay in the industry that I, I was in. I was a journalist for a number of years, but finding that right match for a job was so challenging. But yeah, I would say stay focused on what you want to accomplish and it'll happen. Definitely. I completely, completely agree. And I know being South Asian, everyone has that pressure. Everyone has those expectations that are put onto them from such a young age. I think that is universal regardless of what age you are. Did you ever have any like, cultural expectations that were put on you? You know, I have to be really thankful in that regard because in terms of my career, at the very least, I made it very clear from an early age that I really enjoyed writing and I really enjoyed working in the newspaper industry and I enjoyed journalism. And so that was the path that I went on when I went into college and into my first years in my career. And my parents were very supportive of that. They never said, oh, maybe you should do this or maybe you should do that. You know, having that support meant a lot, especially because they saw how happy I was doing what I did. So in that regards, I'm very thankful. I, I did not feel really any pressure to do something that everybody else did. The other thing is because I'm in a field at the time where there really wasn't any other South Asians, I sort of could stick out in my own way. and. You know, when you picked up the newspaper in the places where I worked, I would have the only byline that had a South Asian name. And so people remembered that. People in the community remembered that when they read an article by me. Tell me a little bit about journalism and like, how do you even find the stories? Um, so for me, I was in journalism for a long time. I went into college as a journalism major. So what that meant was I, in addition to taking classes, I spent a lot of time working at the school newspaper. And at the university that I went to, we had a, a daily, Monday through Friday. So I would write articles for them almost every single day. So I would get used to, you know, going out and interviewing people and writing up a story, things like that. And I covered things like student government, the police beat, features. I had a column when I was um, a senior. 
So I got to write a lot. And because of that experience writing, I was able to get some internships through college at different papers of different sizes. That also helped me gain experience. And so then by the time I was ready to graduate, I already had a job ready for me. So I stayed in the newspaper industry for about six and a half years. That's so crazy. So I know there's so many people out there that do want to become journalists and stuff. Like, What is like the one piece of advice that you would give to young people listening if they want to pursue a career in journalism? Yeah. Okay. So I would say, you know, the first thing is you have to really enjoy the work. And I will say like the first three to four years of my journalism career, you're going to be working long hours and your social life is going to be your coworkers. So, you know, in that regards, it's very rigorous. You do it because you enjoy it. You love the field. But as you gain experience, you know, you kind of have to know where to set your boundaries. I was lucky enough in the latter part of my journalism career to land a job at a paper where they really respected that boundary and they really enforced it. Like, you're only going to work this many hours a week. You will have a life after work, you know, and I did. And it was, it was great. Yeah, definitely. And especially like when you have like such rigorous hours when you're quite young, you do end up not doing as much and work becomes everything. And it must have put like a lot of strain on like your love life, for example. Or lack thereof. Lack thereof. (laughs) How was it? Like, how was it trying to balance a full-time job and then again, like trying to find love? Because one thing that all South Asian people are pressured into is finding someone and getting married by a certain age, which does not exist for the record. There is no right age to settle down and get married at. How was that for you? So it was really interesting because when I was working, especially when I was working the last part of my career, I would say the last two and a half years, I was able to have a life outside of my work, but that life actually consisted of hanging out with my friends. And so I didn't really necessarily pursue anyone that I would be interested in. And I really wasn't interested in anyone. I was so focused on having like a friend life hanging out with my girlfriends and whatnot. And that was totally fine with me. However, my parents at the time, they were thinking otherwise. And at the time, I also lived about seven and a half, eight hours away from my mom and dad. So they were kind of looking into who they could set me up with. And so they would, you know, send me email communications about certain people. And and that's kind of where it all started. So they would be sending me information about guys. And I was kind of like, okay, whatever. I wasn't super serious about it yet. And I just wasn't in that headspace because I'm like, why should I ruin what I already have right now (laughs) kind of thing? But, you know, their intentions were definitely well meant. So they found a few guys that I ended up meeting in person. And they were, you know, they were nice, at least on the surface level. They were nice and they were polite when they had to be, especially when, you know, you are around the vicinity of your parents and they always have the best impression. Oh, of course. It's definitely a a different face that you are on your best behavior. Absolutely. You know, and they present the resume and they somehow, you know, gave me a, gave a resume for me. I have no idea what it looked like. So all these, these guys, I think there were three of them total that I remember. They all lived in the U.S. They had jobs in the U.S. They had, I think, at least had gone to college in the U.S. However, they were raised in Bangladesh. And so 
my first reaction was that's not going to work out. And I felt like I tried to express that, but that wasn't something that was being heard. And so I kind of, you know, sort of let it go for a while and I made a point to at least try. So I didn't want to assume that, okay, because of the upbringing, it was not going to work out. I wanted to at least give it a fair shot. Here's what my experience was like with these individuals that were, you know, for the most part, very nice and polite and friendly to me. There is a certain expectation of what a wife should be. And I certainly did not meet that. I still don't meet that. I will never meet that. (laughs) And so what I would do is I would interview these guys. Like my dates would essentially be interviews. And I think that really was sort of like um, unexpected on their part. I would ask things about gas prices. <laughs> you know, like it's not like normal relationshipy type stuff, but I also just was like, okay, I want to know about your political views and where you stand on blah, blah, blah. And I think they were not expecting somebody who was so cerebral in their communication. So then I never really heard anything back as much. It was more like the communication ended. (laughs) And then I kind of put the pieces together mentally. I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's why. (laughs) Because I don't know how else to interact, you know. But that's you. That's you as a person. Like, that's the thing. Like, they were just not the right person for you. Yeah. So, you know, and I I don't want to say that everybody is going to be like this, but that was my experience. There was a time, so after I left journalism, I actually left the country. I lived in South America for a couple of years. And so I was far away from everybody. So then did you ever feel the pressure to like find someone by a certain age? So I definitely think that it's something that my parents may have felt a little bit of pressure with. And I'm kind of assuming here, but, you know, once I turned of a certain age, they started making these inquiries. And I know they would hear from other family members like, oh, you know, what about this person? Or why hasn't Shiva gotten married yet? You know, so they would hear it more than me. And because I wasn't geographically close to anyone, I didn't necessarily feel the pressure, if that makes sense. That does make sense. Lucky that you were away, like just living your life. Yeah. And I never left my town that I grew up in. I think I definitely would have felt a lot more pressure. And it would have been just aggravating. And it was already aggravating enough being so far away and hearing about it. So it was just like, eh, I don't want to let it get to me. I think that's a problem. Like a lot of people still get that pressure. I'm quite lucky that my parents are not like that. But there are a lot of people out there whose parents are like that. And there are strict timelines because they want grandchildren or they want this and they want that. And I think one thing that we culturally need to accept is actually finding love later in life. Because when you're in your 20s or even in your early 20s, like you still don't know you, like you're still trying to figure yourself out. So when you put another person into the mix, you're a bit like, I feel, I feel like that's a lot personally. No, I agree. I think it definitely applied to me because I don't necessarily think I would have been completely happy because my focus is on finding things that I enjoyed. If I wasn't in the space to be able to do that, then there is really not going to be any room for me to try to be able to develop a relationship and try to be happy in a relationship when I was not happy entirely with myself. That's really true. And that's such true advice as well. So by the time I came back to the US, I was 30. You know, all my community, their kids have had children now. Oh, wow. So it's like, okay, she was still single. 
and my mom, I have my, one of my best friends from college is from a small town, Iowa. My mom would occasionally tell me, you know, Shuba, Laura is already married. She already has three kids. And I'm like, yeah, I know. That's great. I'm happy for her. You know, that's what she wanted. And that's so cool. I'm happy for her, but it's not what I want. And so there really never was that talk of like trying to pursue this beyond what they did in my 20s. Now, fortunately, around that same time, my sister was seriously dating somebody and they got married in 2011. My brother-in-law is Catholic and we're Muslim. So I don't know if my sister felt any concern or resistance to that. But, you know, so my sister got married in 2011. And by that time, I had started dating my husband. By that time, I don't think they cared if it was the garbage truck guy. You know, <laughs> they were just like, oh my gosh, Shuba has somebody. You know? She's finally with someone. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. So he's not a garbage truck guy. He's very smart. <laughs> but it was like, oh my God, he was this new person. So what was interesting, I think, is, you know, Scott is in our immediate family. Scott's the only white guy. He's from small town Iowa. So we met online on eHarmony and communicated for about a week till we met in person. And we met at a bookstore. And, you know, I was actually asking him this before the interview, like, what did you think of me? Or what did your family think of me? And they're like, they really didn't think anything bad, necessarily. Like, they were like, oh, this is a new person. You know, she is from Bangladesh, whatever. So it wasn't so much of a huge thing for them, apparently. And, you know, Scott had brought other girls home too to meet family. And so They were just like, oh, this is another girlfriend. (laughs) And I hadn't done that yet. So, you know, I remember when I brought him home to meet my parents, I remember my mom telling my dad, don't ask him anything about marriage yet. This is like the first time they're, you know, they're meeting him. So at that time, I obviously didn't know if he was going to stick. But but yeah, we dated for almost five years and then decided to get married. So nice. What was the challenges though? Because I know interracial relationships is still a massive stigma attached to it in the South Asian community, for example. So I think the challenge was probably more on not so much the acceptance of each other, but not knowing about each other's culture. And so like, you know, Scott was introduced to just like some cooking related stuff that my mom would do or just like how they are in terms of their mannerisms and things like that. So it was probably more of that introducing him to the culture and just the history and the family. And so it's a little bit more than I think if he was from Bangladesh. So I wouldn't have to explain as much, but because this is something that was completely foreign to him, it was really more extra explaining of this is what happened. And this is why we do X. This is why we do this, blah, blah, blah. So it was more of that, but it wasn't necessarily anything that I would consider stressful. And I think reversely on his side of the family, I think the most curiosity came from my sister-in-law. It was fabulous. I'm so lucky to have her in, in my family. But she was really inquisitive and asked a lot of questions about what do you do about this? What do you do about that? Blah, 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 blah. You know, so it was welcoming curiosity on both sides. That's so cool. How was your family's initial reaction when you bought Scott home? You know, I think they were, they were more happy than they were surprised because they were like, oh, yay. You know, and, now, and then the questions came like, who is he? How old is he? For the record, he is one month younger than me. 
you know, what does he do? Where did he go to school? And all those. Yeah, I think they were more like sort of happy surprised. Because by that time, I had already like gone through my 20s, gone through a few different people that they had tried to set me up with unsuccessfully. It didn't work out because I, thankfully, I knew myself better. And I knew that I wanted other things that I wanted to accomplish before I settled down. And that was really important to me. I think that's so important in general. Like, you need to put yourself first. And in terms of like introducing their other half to families, for example, what would you tell someone when they need to introduce their other half who is not from the same culture or religion to their parents? Yeah. So in regards to that, I would say, you know, you have to have that initial conversation with your parents. You know, there's really no getting around that and saying, you know, hey, I met somebody and this is who he is. You know, you're doing that initial verbal introduction. But I think, you know, you would hope that your parents, at least this was the case for me, because I'm not 21 when I'm talking to them, but I'm also, I'm all, I'm like in my early thirties at this point. So that is a huge difference right there. So by that time, they've known to accept what I'm going to bring. Now, if I was 21, 22, I think I would have to be a little bit more determined in how I'm expressing this because it has to come from a place of knowing yourself first and also being able to strongly and passionately introduce this other person and be excited about it. If they see that you're excited about it, they're going to be excited about it, hopefully. The other thing to note in the, for South Asian parents is just because you're introduced to that person doesn't mean they're signing a marriage contract. It's just somebody new in their life. And so that's kind of like when I brought Scott home to meet my parents. Yes, there definitely was that hope that it would end up as a life together. But we, neither of us, nobody knew that at the time. Yeah, no, definitely. That's very true. And it was so nice just to hear a different perspective on things. So I just want to say thank you so much for like coming on and sharing your story. But one thing that I always do with guests is I do a little quick fire round and I do like a bunch of really easy breezy small questions. Yeah, absolutely. So are you ready? Yes. So first question is, what is the strangest thing that you have eaten? So when I think about this, it's weird because I know a lot of people like this food and some people might even consider it a staple, but the strangest thing I've eaten, honestly, in my taste buds is okra. Ooh. And I don't particularly like it. (laughs) (laughs) It just, the texture of it just doesn't feel not right to me. So I know that's probably going to offend a lot of people, but okra. (laughs) Hey, I don't like aubergines. (laughs) Next question is describe yourself in three words. Um, I would say uh, ambitious, creative, and friendly. Next one is if you can trade lives with anybody for one day, who would it be and why? Hmm. I have a few different people that come to mind. And since we're both podcasters, I will say that um, my favorite female podcaster is a woman by the name of Phoebe Judge. And she has two shows. One is called Criminal and the other one is This Is Love. And she has the best podcasting voice in my mind. Like it's so soothing. I would love just to 
it's weird to think that I would want to trade places with her, but I just want to be around her to see how she works, you know? And yeah. uh, because she is so good at what she does. What is the first thing that you do when you get up in the morning? So aside from like going to the bathroom, <laughs> I would say, um, the first thing I have been doing actually probably for a little over a month now is writing my journal. So I have a journal streak going on as well. Along with your running streak. What is your favorite quote? So my favorite quote, um, this is a quote that I have at the closing of a lot of my personal emails that I send to my family and friends. Um, but it's by a guy named Henry Mulzak. And he's an American who used to be in the US Peace Corps a long time ago. Um, but his, the quote is, one isn't content until he sees better. One isn't appreciative until he sees less. What is the worst chat up line that you have received? I'm actually really looking forward to this one. I think they're all bad. (laughs) But like um, the one I remember that sticks out is somebody telling me that you remind me of Miss America. That's actually quite nice. That's nice. 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 But that's a beauty pageant and beauty pageants just have a bad rap. What advice would you give to people that are trying online dating, especially in this time where we can't see other people? Oh my gosh. I think it is extra challenging in this time. I would say, you know, be patient, but also be creative. And what I mean by that, by being creative is like, really think about how you're filling your profile. I met Scott on eHarmony and eHarmony has like this gigantic list of questions that you have to answer. There's a common question that was asked at the time that was, what is the most important thing to you? And I think every single answer I saw in every guy's profile was family and friends, which I'm like, okay, it's a nice answer, but it feels like a cop-out. And so Scott's was um, his theater troupe. He had a theater troupe for a long time. So that was his answer. And I had something different. I had talked about photography in my answer. So I'm like, oh, this is somebody different. So that really stuck out to me initially. So anyway, that's what I mean by be creative. Don't be like, like everybody else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you can get yourself one thing, what would it be? So I'm actually looking into getting an exercise bike. I don't necessarily need one, but I like the idea of having one. If you were invisible, where would you go? Mm -hmm. So I would say we actually had planned a vacation to Peru um, back in the spring. And then it got gotten pushed back to next year because of the pandemic. So if I could like have an invisibility cloak like Harry Potter and get on a plane and see different sites in Peru, Machu Picchu, I would definitely do that. So I'm hoping we'll get to go next, next year sometime. Yeah, I hope so too. I think everyone kind of needs to like get away and like have a holiday for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And finally, what is one song that reminds you of your relationship with your husband? Okay, so there is a story to this. So the song that reminds me of us is a song called a hundred years and it's by five for fighting and so you know i was thinking of the song actually um very recently and the reason that the song reminds me of him is because i remember him mouthing the words to the song when we were on our second date we were waiting at a restaurant for food and i remember just watching him and he was mouthing the words to it So this was back like in 2007-ish, maybe when we first met. And recently I asked him about this song and he's like, I don't remember hearing this song. I don't know what the song is. And I'm like, what? 
you know, he's like, your memory is conflated. <laughs> like I, that never happened. I'm like, yes, it did. I have a distinct memory of it. So anyway, so that would have been my initial response. But I think the second song is not really a song, but it's the theme music to Doctor Who, mainly because we're Doctor Who fans. We've watched most of the modern day ones up through Peter Capaldi. And we chose that theme music as part of our wedding when we walked back up the aisle. That's so cool. Who's your favorite doctor? If you had to pick one. See, I think I started watching Doctor Who just at the end of David Tennant, but the start of Matt Smith. And uh-huh. I was like, Matt Smith was my doctor. And I only watched Doctor Who before Matt Smith and that was it. Okay, I like Matt Smith too. I do like Matt. I like David better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like you, have, you always have your doctor. Like Matt Smith right. is like my doctor. Right, right. <laughs> oh, thank you, Shruba, so much for coming on to my podcast. I've literally learned so much from you and I really, really enjoyed our conversation and I hope you did too. Yeah, absolutely. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. No worries. I hope you guys liked that episode and my chat with Shuva. I just want to say thanks to Shuva once again for being a guest on my podcast and being amazing and sharing her story. Also, there's only two more episodes of season one left. So the next episode will be the penultimate episode and then episode 20 will be the finale. And I can't wait because they're actually such interesting topics and I can't wait for you guys to hear them. And I still do daily affirmations on my Instagram page, actually. So if you're someone who enjoys affirmations, then please follow me on Instagram at Pretty Personal so you can have your morning dose of positivity. And that is all from me this week. I will speak to you guys soon. Take care. Bye. (laughs) 